Well, if you would, please open a Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 3. And if you would, would you stand for the reading of the Word of God and a prayer for God to speak to us. Let's pray together. Most gracious God, we thank you that you want to communicate to us and that you've made us so that we're able to understand something of your thoughts and to hear your word. And so be pleased, O Lord, to speak to us this morning. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark was. And then the Lord called to Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. And so he went and lay down. And then the Lord called again Samuel, and Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I didn't call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel didn't yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. And so Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord came to all Israel. You may take your seats. So last week we took up a warning that surprisingly was wrapped in 
hope. God was quietly at work behind the scenes to raise up a faithful uh, priest. And this morning, our story begins and ends with very sharp contrast. In verse uh, 1 of chapter 3, we read that the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there were no frequent visions. And then chapter 4 begins, then the word of Samuel came to all Israel. At the beginning of their chapter, we're told that God rarely spoke to his people. And by the end of the chapter, there are four statements. Each one of them could have concluded the chapter, but they emphasize that God's word is coming through Samuel, who's commissioned as God's prophet. Now, the Bible teaches us that all human beings were created with the need to hear God's word, for God to speak to them. Uh, This is true before sin entered the world. Uh, We needed God to tell us who we were, to give us our identity. We needed him uh, to reveal to us the purpose of our lives. We needed him to direct our activities and to enjoy a personal relationship with God. We needed his word for all of these things. And of course, uh, now that sin is entered to the world, and our judgment about so many things is distorted by sin, we need the word of God all the more. Our text opens with three sorts of darkness. In verse 1, we're told there's no vision for the word of God is rare. In verse 2, we're told we have an almost blind priest, Eli. And then in verse 3, we're told that the lamp is diminishing in its light. It's about to go uh, dark because it's almost out of oil. It's, and this, uh, these kinds of details are not just descriptive color, the way someone might write a novel today. Descriptions of people and details like this are rare in the narrative of the Bible, which is very, uh, very, uh, well, uh, spoken with economy of words. But together, these three sorts of darkness reinforce this very plain statement that the word of God was rare and precious, as precious as light, as precious as eyesight. Eli's blindness indicates not simply that he's an old man experiencing what old people often do, the loss of their sight, but rather it's a statement about his spiritual condition. Uh, uh, Israel's spiritual point man uh, cannot see God's will clearly and discern what he should do. And the lamp tells us not only the time of day, that it's about to grow uh, dim, but is symbolic that time is running out for Israel unless God's word comes and brings uh, light. The old era, which the book of Samuel is a part of, is the dark and distressing days of the judges. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The word of the Lord uh, wasn't the feature of the life of individuals. It didn't uh, shape the life of the nation. And as a result, there was moral and spiritual darkness 
and chaos uh, throughout the land. The leaders were corrupt, the worship was idolatrous, and the tribes were divided. In fact, uh, they're engaging uh, in civil war upon uh, one another. And so the nation's languishing because of a lack of God's uh, uh, word. It's in the dark. And maybe you feel like your world is dark. Maybe you feel like the world is dark. Maybe there's something in your life where you're experiencing uh, darkness. This passage is good news uh, for you because God has brought light uh, into the world. But without the light of God's world, individuals, families, churches, and cities, and entire societies fall into self-destructive behavior, just as we see in the book of Judges. Uh, now, Israel has been without this rejuvenating, preserving word for a long time. And it comes to them anew in God's call of Samuel. And what we have in our text this morning is not only the transformation of Samuel and Eli receiving information uh, through the word of God, but we see the three abiding characteristics of God's word. That this word is true and certain, uh, that this word is personal, and this word is renewing and transforming. So first, the word of God is true and certain. It sets the parameters uh, of life. And if you live within its uh, parameters, then you and your relationships, uh, the community uh, that uh, you live in uh, is going to be enriched. The possibility of flourishing, of being able to enjoy uh, life as much as it can be enjoyed in a fallen world is before you. God calls to Samuel three times. Uh, He calls Samuel's uh, name, and uh, eventually Eli perceives what's going on. On the fourth time we read, the word of the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Uh, And Samuel responds, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And then the Lord gave Samuel, well, it's a very hard word. You might uh, wonder, why give such a hard word, a word of judgment, uh, to a young man? And the answer is, at least, there's at least two parts that we can be sure. One of them is, is that Samuel is going to replace Eli. And that time has come. And second of all, it sort of foreshadows the role uh, that Samuel will have in Israel. Uh, Samuel is going to have a very serious, uh, in fact, heavy role. Uh, He's going to be be the kingmaker, and he's going to announce on the first king he appoints, Saul, the judgment of uh, God. And he will speak strong, corrective words to the people of Israel. This true and certain word of judgment uh, restates what we saw last week, that other prophet had spoken. And God, in giving this message uh, twice, is uh, underlining that this is certain. What God has spoken is going to come uh, to pass. Now, this is one of the characteristics of all of Holy Scripture. It's certain. It's enduring. 
The prophet puts it this way. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever, says Isaiah. Jesus, speaking in a very similar vein, says this. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Because it's God's word, it's enduring. It's enduringly true. And that means all of God's commands, all of his plans, all of his promises, and all of his judgments, when they're rightly understood in the light of Christ's coming, all of them will stand. They will all come to pass. They are true, and you can depend on them. And we are urged uh, to receive them and to heed them and to embrace them and to live by them. The writer of the Hebrews puts it this way. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And we're warned not to add to it or to take away from it. Jesus said, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And the very last words in the Bible are these from the Apostle John. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy in this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in these words. And these words coming at the very end of the Bible, probably we should understand them as applying to all of Scripture. God's final and climactic word has come in the person of Jesus Christ. God is speaking to us uh, through his Son, and we hear his Son speak in holy uh, Scripture. And that, of course, is why we spend so much time in our services uh, hearing the word of God. And so we should treasure the scriptures. God speaks to us in the scriptures. Uh, uh, We should recognize that God himself is in charge of this communication. Whether we truly hear it, whether we are able to receive it, whether we embrace it or not, depends on his work in us. We need to ask him for the ability to hear and receive and believe uh, what he speaks to us. You see, it's possible for the word of God to become rare. It's uh, possible not to have ears that hear and eyes that see. Even the ability to hear is a gift given. And we... uh, uh, need to understand that we can hold the scriptures and read them and hear them preached and not benefit uh, from them. We can still be deaf uh, to them. And so we need to plead with God. That's why it's not just a a nice thing to do, to pray uh, before we read and proclaim scripture. It's why when we sit to read our Bibles, wherever they might be, whether with family or on our own, we need to ask for God's light to come to our eyes. 
God's written word, his preached word, his read word uh, should be welcomed as an expression of his grace to us. God's word's also personal. Uh, Samuel is called. Now Samuel is sleeping fairly close to Eli. They're both in close proximity uh, to the tabernacle. And uh, the reason Samuel's there is Eli doesn't see very well. And at night, uh, he may need help. And so Samuel, when he hears his name called, naturally thinks it's Eli. And so he goes and offers to assist him. And God speaks uh, to Samuel uh, no less than four times. And you might think, well, God's word isn't very effective for Samuel. But rather, what you should see is how patient God is, how gracious uh, he is. He's patient when we don't understand uh, what he's saying to us. When we just don't get it, we just can't see how uh, what he's saying to us connects with our life. And we see Samuel's very responsive uh, to God. He says, here I am. Uh, And God reveals himself uh, to Samuel. Uh, And Samuel offers himself in faith and obedience. And this is how God's word comes to us as well. Just as it came to Samuel in a personal way, as God names him, so God's word comes to us in a personal way. And it makes claims on us. It makes demands on our lives. It calls us to submission uh, and to service. Now, in 1983, not far from here, I was ordained. I was ordained uh, as a teaching elder. And uh, as you will uh, discover in a few months' time, I trust, that when a uh, teaching elder is ordained, it's a rather involved service. There's one full sermon, and then uh, there are words of exhortation. And having three preachers in a service is like having many cooks make a pot of soup. Each of them cannot uh, resist the opportunity. And so it's kind of a long uh, service. I invited a man who was a friend named Bill Louthen, uh, Bob Louthen, excuse me, and uh, he graduated from the same seminary I did. He shared my special interest in the Old Testament, and he chose for my ordination a passage from the book of Kings. And it was the story of a prophet, a prophet who was sent to announce a word of judgment against one of the most wicked kings in Israel's history named Jeroboam. And uh, God told the prophet that he wasn't to eat uh, uh, or drink anything while he was there, and he was to come home a different way than he went. And so he obeyed, he preached his message to Jeroboam, and then he went home a different way. But on the way there, he encountered an old prophet, probably a lonely prophet who invited him to come and probably to sit at his dinner table and just to enjoy the presence of another prophet. Well, he told the prophet, the older prophet, no, God has told me not to eat or drink anything. And so then the old prophet lies and says, well, the word of the Lord has just come to me. You're to come home with me and have a meal with me. And so he does. And while they're sitting eating, The word of the Lord does come to the old prophet, and it's a word of judgment on the younger prophet. And the younger prophet, as he leaves, is met by a lion and killed on the way. 
Now, it's a pretty sobering message, kind of untypical of the kind of messages that are preached at ordination services. As Bob was preaching, he knew that people would think it was kind of odd. Usually, ordination is kind of a celebratory moment uh, in a candidate, sort of the completion, the capstone of years of seminary and grueling exams. And so he said, you know, you think that this is a son of your congregation who's going to minister God's word. And he said, friends, I want you to understand that this man who's before you today must obey the word of the Lord that he announces to you. He underscored for me that God's word was personal. It was directed to me. And I could not approach my work as a pastor as if it was simply a word for other people and not a word spoken to me. Samuel cries out, here I am. Uh, Speak for your servant hears. And that should be true of all of us who follow Christ. And these words ought to awaken us out of our lethargy, out of our familiarity uh, with Scripture, and, and challenge us, really, to ask ourselves, are we responsive to God's uh, word? You know, God expects us to be ready to listen and to be prompt in offering back a response, whatever it should uh, be. And so I could ask a lot of different questions. You know, are you growing in faith and uh, repentance. But let me just ask this uh, one to put a point on it. Are you growing in wisdom? George Schwab, as he begins his commentary on Proverbs, makes a comment I think you'll agree with. Nobody likes to think of themselves as a fool. You, You agree with that? You don't like to think about yourself as a fool. And then he says, the Wisdom of the book of Proverbs is not theoretical. It's not abstract. It is very practical. And so he says, how uh, do you fare if you measure yourself by these ideals in the book of Proverbs? Do you listen thoroughly before you respond to people? Do you know when to keep your mouth shut? Do you exercise moderation in food and drink? Do you lose your temper under pressure? Do you readily take advice and receive criticism with a humble attitude? Do you know how to work diligently? Do you plan ahead and save some of your money? Are you considerate of your friends and their schedules? Are you responding with concern to the poor? Now, he goes on to say everybody acts in their lives in some areas foolishly. God's calling us to respond to him. And to grow, not only in our knowledge of Christ, but in a life that resembles his. It's a word, the word of God is a word that summons us to be available to his calling. Are you available to be a loving neighbor uh, to the people that cross your path? The people uh, you live with or work with or play with? Joe Stowell, while he was the president of Bible College, retells this story. He'd been out for his uh, morning uh, run, and when he finished, he came to a Starbucks. He was going to pick up a couple of the, he and his wife's favorite lattes as they were, she was waking up. And uh, there was one person in line ahead of him. But this wasn't your typical wait in line for a cup of coffee moment. The man and the clerk 
were in an intense argument. The man had a newspaper clutched under uh, his arm uh, that he wanted to purchase. And he handed the clerk a $50 bill. And the clerk said, I'm sorry, sir, I can't sell you the paper. I don't have check, can't make change uh, for $50. Well, it just was escalating in, in front of Joe. And so he said, you know what? Just put the paper on my bill. I'll pay for it. And uh, uh, that diffused things. The man walked out with his paper and he commented, thanks a lot, all I have is yours. But it didn't include that $50 bill. And then... To his surprise, the barista, uh, when he handed the coffee to him, said, Mr., the world would be a much better place if there were more people like you. And um, Joe writes, uh, if he knew me better, he wouldn't say that. <laughs> um, and, uh, and he felt completely caught off guard. He wanted to point things up to God, but, but he just stumbled around with some, you know, Something that kind of made, made light of himself. Uh, and uh, he said, I should have thought, well, this world would not be a better place if there were more people like me. Uh, uh, but it would be a better place if more uh, people were like Jesus, because he taught me to do that. And as he's pondering this, he thought about turning back. And then he realized, you know, going into Starbucks with a long line of people and delivering a religious uh, speech would probably not go over well. And so as he, as he went on uh, home, he thought, well, I was wearing my Moody Bible Institute hat. And maybe the man would think the world would be a better place if there were more Bible people in it. Are you one of those Bible people that makes the world a better place where you go? Now, Samuel knows the Lord. He's heard the word of the Lord. And he gives this tough message uh, to Eli. Um, And Eli uh, insists that he not hold anything back. And when he gets this message, Eli with, uh, well, he just, you know, with a humble resignation says he's the Lord uh, and accepts it. He knows it's both a sure and certain word, and that it's a personal word. God is speaking through Samuel to him. And then the narrator concludes by telling us that Israel's great need for the word of the Lord is being met. That its darkness is being met with light. The word of the Lord is renewing and transforming for all who respond to God's call. You see, Samuel, at the beginning of the book, is being mentored by Eli. But now, and he doesn't know the Lord, but now he's received the word of the Lord, and it is Eli who depends on Samuel to give it uh, to him. Samuel is a bold prophet, and he's going to become the regular means which God reveals himself to the nation. Verse 19, and Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. And let none of his words fall to the ground. God's supernatural presence was there with Samuel his whole life. You may recognize that these words, something very similar, said about Jesus in the New uh, Testament. 
And verse 20, now all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of uh, the Lord. Uh, None of his uh, good words uh, fall uh, to the ground. Uh, The nation recognizes he's a prophet, and he's as famous as we might say uh, from Boston to Miami. Everybody knew this was God's uh, prophet. And then the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Um, This night in which God speaks to Samuel is not an exception. No, it's a regular occurrence. It's just one of a series. And we began at the beginning of the chapter, the word of God is rare, and now it's regularly available. And chapter 4 opens, and all Israel now has God's word through Samuel. Samuel the boy has been transformed into a national leader. The word of God transforms those who receive it. One of the most uh, striking stories I've ever heard about that is in the life of a man named Emile Calais. I think I'm saying that right. I want you to know I've got a C in French, so I might not have that quite, quite right. But he grew up in France uh, uh, toward the end of the 19th century. And as a young man, uh, he was studying philosophy, and then World War I broke out, and he was called up uh, to service. And uh, uh, during uh, the war, the education he had received, which was a completely naturalistic uh, education, There was no mention of God. There was no possibility of God in in his education. During the uh, war, as he pondered all these uh, uh, words of philosophy, um, he realized, you know, that they just didn't really meet his need as he watched his buddy talking about his mother when he receives a bullet in the chest and dies in his arms. And he begins to, in the course of his time, there in the war, he, he begins to uh, wonder whether his life after the war is going to just be one of misery. He's just going to perish in misery. He, he just had absorbed the pessimism of his uh, philosophy, and he sensed the inadequacy of, of uh, what he'd been studying to answer the question of what was life's purpose. What did it mean for him to be alive? And then one day, uh, Emil himself catches a bullet. And because an uh, American field ambulance crew saved his life after nine months of recuperation, he returned to his studies in philosophy. And in that course of the time, of course, he had a lot of time uh, to think. He began to think that the books he'd studied uh, before, they just, they didn't have any, they didn't grip him, they didn't have any uh, power, they didn't speak to his uh, condition. And so he began to long for something that he called the book that understands me. And so he purposed to create such a book as he continued in graduate school. And he'd take a quote and he'd write it carefully into this book and he'd make a notation as to where it uh, came from. And uh, He intended that when it was finished, he'd have this book of wonderful uh, quotes that would speak to his very uh, life, speak to his condition that would bring uh, him joy. And and he writes uh, about uh, uh, the time when he finished uh, this uh, book. 
It was on a beautiful sunny day that he sat down beside a tree and opened the book to begin to read it. And as he read, he was just more and more discouraged and disappointed. Because as he read these passages, oh, he remembered the book it came from and where he was when he was reading the book and the context in which this statement occurred. Uh, But it just carried no strength of persuasion. And so in a rather dejected mood, he put it back into his pocket. Uh, Unbeknownst to him, at the same time, his wife had been uh, walking around in their part of France, and uh, she happened uh, to encounter a Huguenot church. And there she met the pastor. Now, you need to understand that Emil had absolutely renounced Christianity. He wanted nothing to do with God, and there would be no God in his home. And, uh, and so, with some reticence, she brought this book home that the pastor had given her. It was a New Testament. And when Emil came home that day, having been so disappointed with the book he had written, uh, he seized it immediately and said, let me have it. And he opened it, and he chanced upon, in his words, the Beatitudes. And I read and I read, now aloud with incredible warmth surging within. And I couldn't find words to express my wonder and all. And suddenly the realization had dawned on me that this was the book that would understand me. It's the book that I needed so much, and I was unaware. I had attempted to write uh, my own in vain. And he read deeply into the night, most uh, from the Gospels. And he says, And lo and behold, as I look through them, the one of whom they spoke, the one who spoke and acted them, became alive to me. And while it may seem absurd to speak of a book that understands you, that is in fact what the Bible is when the Spirit of God uh, speaks uh, to us through it, when he gives us ears to hear it. In it, we hear the very voice of God speaking to us personally, showing us that he understands the condition of our lives. Are you discouraged today? Then open the book. Open the book of Psalms. Do you feel alone? Open the 23rd Psalm and read of the shepherd who is uh, with you. Are you discouraged about the future of the world? Maybe the future of the church? Then open the book of Revelation. Because even though you won't understand everything in it, it has a simple message. In the end... The church wins. In the end, God wins. This is the book, the book that God speaks through. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, in your kindness, you have spoken to us. You have given us the ability to actually understand you because you've made us in your likeness and you're renewing us in your likeness by your Spirit. We thank you for this precious gift. May we cherish it as you intend.